Hi, folks. Good to see you. Glad that you are here this weekend. want to welcome uh, all of our campuses that are tuning in right now, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock, Lakewood, those that live stream us and those that will listen later on the next week or two, or however you're a part of the greater JFC family, we're glad that you are, and I uh, want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you were handed notes on the way in to uh, the service you're in this weekend, so if you grab those, uh, we'll jump into the teaching here in just a second. Uh, quick update, last week, if you weren't here, that's why I'm about to say uh, what, what I'm going to say. We recognize that any given weekend, um, not everybody's able to make it every weekend, and I needed to talk last weekend to the folks who called JFC home. So if you're a visitor, uh, put it on cruise control for a minute, forgive me. For, for having to give this update, uh, but it's, it's not applicable to our visitors. And um, if you just happened to be here last week, then this is not to be redundant and to, uh, to beat you with anything. But we recognize that not everybody is here on any given weekend, and it's such an important issue that I felt the need to have to address it one more time. And uh, simply, just as an update, last week I uh, talked to our church about a financial situation and need that's going on here. And over the past six to seven months, Bottom line is our tithe has just been down and is fairly significant. So the two main reasons that are going on talked about the fact that, uh, one, we've just had a lot of projects this year. That's not anybody's fault. It's not certainly scolding anyone. Uh, if anything, it is not recognizing that um, the more we try to do, it can affect uh, how much you have to deal with financially. And between, Marcus just mentioned it, we're opening up a new children's church uh, downstairs next week. There's still more work to be done down there at our Highlands Ranch campus. All the offices had to be relocated over there. Uh, it was a tremendous project. And then on top of that, we've had a ton of mission things uh, that uh, both Jonathan and Ethan and different departments have been working on. And then things that we've done for Israel, a response to the flood that we had, just a number of different things. And here's what happens. Um, when we bring up those projects, a lot of times funds get designated from the tithe. And what I mentioned is other churches set their uh, boundaries this way. They have a bottom line that they operate from. Whatever comes in, they take what they need first, and then anything past that they give to where it's been designated. We don't do that. If you designate it to a particular thing, we honor your request. We feel like that is the most upright thing to do with people's money. And our response has always been this. We want people to know that when you give, it goes to what you gave it to, not to what we think it's supposed to go to. Uh, but as you can imagine, too many projects, when people designate funds, it can pull away from the fact that you have a budget. So we find ourselves uh, dealing with that. So I mentioned that last week. And funny enough, the amount of email and letters that I got was pretty overwhelming. But I thought this was pretty indicative of what most of them were saying. Just simply, I was handed this uh, at the end of last week, and it said, Pastor John, I know you don't like to talk about money, so I figured this must be a real situation. <laughs> After speaking with a few of the pastors yesterday, I was able to get some clarity and direction on my tithing and giving. A uh, person goes on to say, I'm a tither, but have made the mistake in the past of directing my tithe to a particular cause that the church was wanting to support. I will continue to tithe and give offerings as I'm prompted by the Holy Spirit to do so. However, I am now clear on exactly where my tithe should go and apologize for the impact my incorrect designation of my tithe has contributed to. Then the guy puts uh, some parentheses. He says, by the way, I don't have guilt about this. I just appreciate the understanding and direction with my finances. And the card goes on to say a few more things that are very nice. But that was the crux of it. And I think it probably speaks to uh, anytime I get a letter or an email, it's representation of, of a number of people that probably um, uh, uh, would say the same thing. And then the second thing that we traced it back to is just simply, this is just an honest statement. Uh, the average overall giving is uh, less this year than it was last year while we have more people this year than we had last year. So the demand is greater, but the dollars are less. I, I think that probably at some point we can all relate to where the economy is at. Here's what the bottom line is. It's putting us in a, uh, a bit of a deficit, uh, about $30,000 a month over a six to seven month time period. So our first response uh, to how we address this was that I just went uh, behind the scenes and uh, just said, hey, our discretionary spending has to change. It's always good to tighten your budget. However, we weren't spending $30,000 a month in discretionary 
funny as you can imagine. I, I'm not sure that any church has that kind of um, cash on hand where they just can freely spend like that. So it did make a difference, but it didn't address a $30,000 shortfall. So it continued on through the summer and then into the fall. So then at the beginning of this month, we made one more step, and it was pretty significant. Uh, it, some pretty big adjustments were made to uh, our payroll, um, to benefits that we no longer offer, and to the fact that we reduced the size of our staff. Uh, pretty, pretty significant issues. Uh, certainly, um, no one is immune from that, and a church is not on the outside when it comes to uh, the fact that you have to deal with real-life issues. Uh, so we did those things, but then I came to the people that call this their home, the people that love this church. That's who I needed to speak to. There's a response from you that's necessary, too, and what I asked for last week were these two things. Um, One-time gifts are important right now because we've got to make up the difference that we have in the deficit, if that makes any sense. But then this one, and this is what I need people to hear, consistent, undesignated giving is pretty crucial at this point. It really is. While projects are never going to go away, and I need to tell you the truth, um, it's a balance because you can't, you can't do projects at the expense of the church, but the church can't just be without doing projects. Does that make sense? Got to do both of those things. So I, in my mind... I know we still have projects that are coming up that I'm going to need to come up and say, hey, folks, we want to do this, and we need to do this. Still need to do that. But then the bottom line is the projects have no bearing if the church isn't there to be able to support them. So hearing what I'm saying becomes very important. Now, I want to thank you. I mentioned it last weekend, and we already saw a very significant response to it in one weekend's time. I want to thank you for those who heard me who have already begun to respond to it. If you weren't here or you came prepared to do something about it this weekend, man, thank you for listening to me. Thank you for caring about what I'm saying. Thank you for acting upon it. Here's what I know. God is our source. That decision was made 15 years ago when we started this church. This is not the first time I've ever faced in my life the fact that God needs to be God. Anybody else ever been? Okay. So, hey, the church has done really well after 15 years. We're super blessed. Uh, the first five years were the years where we had to really look at everything that we're doing, be very careful. It grew, momentum took over. That was, that was terrific. But to find ourselves at a place where we have to trust God and really be listening to Him, I would tell you the truth. I don't think anybody wants trouble, but trouble can have two effects. It can put a wedge between you and God, or it can drive you to God. And here's what's going on in my heart. Look at me. This is the way that it is. I'm not different when I leave this pulpit. I'm rejoicing right now in everything God is doing in my life. He's putting a desperation in my heart for him again, that no matter what you say, you can pray that prayer, but here's the way God answers it. He doesn't reach down and touch you with fairy dust, and now you feel desperate. He kicks out the props that you rely on so that you have to rely on him. Do you believe that? So that when it happens, it may be a little uncomfortable, but the result is that you become hungry and desperate for God, and I'm really excited about that right there. That's a good work that's going on in my heart, and I hope it is for all of us. So thanks for listening to me. I won't be bringing it up again in the next uh, few weeks. I will report to you on how we're doing, but I just wanted to make sure that everyone who uh, calls this church home and loves this church had a chance to hear what I'm saying and respond to it. All right, let's go ahead and jump into this. Here's what I began last week. Because of this issue that's going on, the fact that it's a significant issue and that we're having to deal with it, I thought, what a time for us to take the very issue of life that we all deal with from time to time. Everybody in this room at some point has dealt with some kind of trouble, some kind of pain, some kind of difficulty, some kind of circumstance where life's not going exactly the way you want it to go. Is that true? You ever been there? All right. So here's what I thought. While I can teach about those things when everything's going really good and it's true, what if I took the fact that we're dealing with it right now and that I'm having to live this every day, what if I just began to teach on that while I was going through it so that you could see, hey, it's not just good theology, but it's practical in the fact that you have to live it out. And if I can't, if I can't live it out, I, how about this? This is what I, I, I tend to always think. What good is it to teach something if you can't do it? Let me try that one more time. What good is it to teach something if you can't do it? Maybe I should say it this way. What good is it to believe something if you can't do it? So what a chance not only to experiment where you can see, okay, it's not just something that they're talking about or something that is theologically correct. They're having to live it out. So I, I just decided, getting before God, I thought I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we're walking through this 
that it's some trouble that we're having to deal with, and I'm going to teach a series about that so that week by week, we can just show people, hey, here's how we're doing it. Here's how we're walking it out, and there's questions with it, and there's reality to it, but here's where God is at in this thing. So we titled it Tomorrow. The name of the series is called Tomorrow. I pulled it from Psalms chapter 30, the second part of verse 5. David wrote these really powerful words, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. What he's just teaching there is just simply that, hey, we're not immune from problems. Problems happen, but problems have a shelf life. Problems don't last forever, and that God is faithful, that we may be going through things today, but that God is going to give us an answer tomorrow. Do you believe that? My man, look, I so believe that, that I'm standing up here in front of everybody, laying everything on the line to say, we may go through it today, but I know that I know it's got a shelf life, and that tomorrow, God is going to come through. That's why I go, is that a literal tomorrow? Mm, I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't always feel like a literal tomorrow. Sometimes, sometimes 24 hours to me and 24 hours to God are two different things. When Peter wrote, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord, it does feel sometimes like God waits a thousand years to answer a prayer. Reality? It's not true, but it feels that way. All right, so, so I thought that's what we'll call this. We'll call it tomorrow and we'll deal with that as the underlying truth that we may go through stuff. And we may not know exactly how long it's going to last, but it does have an end, and we will have a tomorrow. So beginning last week then, what I did when I wrote down the notes, I thought I would just journal real quickly things that God is showing me personally during this time. So I shared three things about trouble last week that were just relevant to me during that week. This week, those are not your notes, they're just things that I jotted in my journal. Let me give you three things this week that I felt like were relative to dealing with trouble, dealing with problems, things that we just go through. Here they are. If you want to write them down, I'll say them and, and say them a couple times so you can write them. All right, so number one, problems won't last forever, but we will last forever. Do you believe that? And ultimately, here's what I mean by that. You have a destiny that no matter what you're going through, your problems will not rob you of your destiny. God is going to see that what he wants to have happen in your life is going to happen, and no shaking can take away God's will from your life. In fact, any shaking you go through is more or less predetermined to get rid of the stuff that would keep you from your destiny. So that when we go through things, problems don't last forever. Then what's the cliche? Uh, Problems don't last forever, but tough times don't last forever, but tough people do. That bugs me. Here's the reality. Problems don't last forever, but we are eternal, and God's purposes are going to be done in our life. Just focusing on it and remembering that helps to put them in perspective. Number two, here's what I learned this week. See if this makes any sense. Don't make matters worse by doing something worse. Do you know how easy it is to make bad decisions when you're under pressure? Just me. And one pastor on the front row. The two stupid pastors. So let me try again. Lakewood people. Castle Rock people, Highlands Ranch people, Lone Tree is far above us. But listen to me, the rest of you. Is it not true that when you're going through it, it's easy to make bad decisions? So here's, here's this week. You're going through things. Everybody, here's what I've learned. When you go through, everybody has an opinion about what you should do. And seldom do they all agree with each other. If I did everything that I was told to do this week, I would be a schizophrenic on medication right at this moment. I, the truth of the matter is, you've got to, you don't make matters worse by doing crazy things under pressure. Here's what I, focus on what God told you to do and stick with that. Yeah. Don't give in to all the stuff that starts coming in to make you doubt and to make you wonder and to make you worry and to throw you off. Don't you know the devil loves to exploit trouble that way in our lives? Complicate it by making stupid decisions when you're in pressure. It's what I've learned, man. Hold the course, hold on to God, and don't give in to that. Let me give you the third thing that I just learned this week that I thought was significant. God is in the deliverance business. Do you believe that? All right, deliverance has no context without trouble. Think about it. You don't need deliverance if there's never any trouble. So people go, well, I would love to live that way. That's called heaven. (laughs) So to live that way, you'd have to be dead. You're like, is that deep or shallow? I can't decide. (laughs) Wherever you want to go with it. But the reality simply is this. He is the God of deliverance. He does. David said, he inclined his ear to my cry and he pulled me out of the pit. 
there is no context for God's ability to work in our life unless it, with deliverance unless there's trouble. Do you agree with that statement right there? So I know we are like, well, I'd rather avoid the trouble. Here's the problem. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble, trouble but fear not I've overcome the world. So maybe it's mentally healthy, listen, to predetermine that I'm going to have some difficulties in this world rather than when it happens to think God is angry at me. Are there some unconfessed sin in my life? Or God's getting back at me for something I did wrong? Or the devil's taking control? What if we just said, this is the course in this life and that God does deliver us out of trouble? Does that help? All right, well, thank you for being so happy about my notes here. Let me, let's move over here to something that I hope is far more interesting to you. Uh, under the transition point, let, let's, this week, let's talk about worry. Now, I said last week at the end of the message, next week I would teach you how to be a bad worrier. Uh, you, you know, you don't have to teach anybody how to worry. It comes naturally, doesn't it? Some of us think it's like a spiritual gift we were given, and we're very good at it. It's not a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual curse. So I want to talk to you about worry. One of my favorite scriptures, I think you probably agree with it after you hear me read it, Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. Paul's writing to a church. So the significance here in the background simply is that he's writing to believers. This isn't to people who are uh, living their lives apart from God. This is a church who very much is laying everything on the line to serve God. In fact, they could be persecuted and killed for what they believe. This, this is a church who, if you would look at them today, it, it would be a church that was the equivalent of meeting in China. They, they, they can be persecuted for what they're standing for and what they believe. So this is a church. These, in other words, these are real people. These, these are not people who are in it because to call themselves Christian is the popular thing to do. You know, we live in a nation today where it identifies itself, more than 80% of America identifies itself as Christian. How many of you would agree that that's probably not an accurate statement? So this is not people who fall into the context of it's popular to say I'm a Christian. To say that, to call the name of Christ could cost you your life. Now the only reason I'm teaching you this is because what Paul's about to say to them, we would think that a person that's that serious about their belief, would they really deal with worry? Absolutely. You can be totally in love with God and going all out for God and be tempted to worry. The very word worry is a German word, it's to choke. Worry has that effect on us. It chokes us. Jesus taught that one of the things that can cause the word of God or the seed of God to abort in our lives was worry. He said the worries of this world come in and choke the life of God out of a person. I wonder how many people, man, they love God and they're in it for the real deal, but they don't see fruit in their life. And I wonder if worry could be one of the things that comes in and chokes it out of us. So could this be a word of deliverance to you tonight? I hope so. I hope it's an opportunity that you could become a bad worrier. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul writes to the Philippian church, don't worry about... Let's try that one more time. Don't worry about... Because I need one biblical scholar. How much is anything? Uh, Does anything include children? Does it include marriage? Does it include health? Retirement? Finances? everything. It's anything. So here Paul gives this great piece of advice. Don't worry about anything. How many of you think that's easy? (laughs) You could just say amen. Now you got it. Go do it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So he gives a pretty clear indication here that you can either worry about something or you can pray about something. Here's what I think. He's playing sort of a polar opposite game. If you worry, you're not praying, and if you're praying, you're not worrying. He kind of defines it. Maybe they both fall into the same idea. We're worshiping something. So if you worry, you're not worshiping God. If you pray, you're worshiping God. So if you worry, who are you worshiping? None of us would look at it this way, but here's the reality of it. If you are spending your time worrying about it, you're making yourself an idol in your own life. You're seeing yourself as God and able to solve your crisis. While God intends us to be at some level self-sufficient, He does not intend us to be the God of our own lives. So Paul quickly and clearly just simply separates between the two. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. 
gosh, what a, what a simple gospel it is if you boil it all down. Look at this. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. I just ask you, how many of you would just now say, I'd like to claim that verse as mine for my life? Yeah, me too, man. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God your needs. I love that. <laughs> and don't forget to thank him for his answers. My temptation is to spend time breaking down this particular scripture right here. There's enough just to talk about right there that would be worthy of a message. But I felt this week to stay on the idea of worry. So let me just advance it down a little bit. And I mentioned it a moment ago, he quickly gets into the idea of worrying or praying. It's the difference between trusting yourself or trusting God. You know, when we go to Israel, one of my favorite places to take people is to the Mount of Beatitudes. The Mount of Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5, is where we find the Sermon on the Mount or the Mount of Beatitudes. You remember, a crowd is gathered, and Jesus begins to teach the most simple and awesome message. Blessed are. You remember the message? Blessed are those. And he gives an indication of who's blessed and how we become blessed in our lives. And most people consider the Sermon on the Mount to be the first part of Matthew chapter 5, just those who are blessed. But the Sermon on the Mount is actually a much longer message. It's contained in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. All of it is one message that Jesus was teaching. So he begins that powerful message with the Sermon on the Mount, talking about who's blessed. He moves into teaching about personal relationships, giving to the poor, prayer, fasting, true worship. And then all of a sudden he begins to talk about anxiety and cares. In Matthew chapter 6, you will find the most clear indication in all Scripture concerning Christ talking about anxiety, cares, trouble, how to deal with them. Now look, I'm going to teach from it, but I thought when I was studying this week, I thought for context's sake, I would read this little part where Jesus talks about worry. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6. This is verse 25, and I'm going to read down to 34. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can read along with me. If you don't, listen. So Jesus says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than the birds? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Can I say it one more time? Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothes? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, they do not spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then. What will we drink? Or what will we eat or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles, or in other words, those who don't have God, eagerly seek after these things. <laughs> Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. 33, seek first the kingdom of God, His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, I'm just going to take those scriptures, that passage, and have a little time where we teach from it. So beginning with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 25, it reads this way, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. All right, let me give you a little uh, theology 101. In your Bible, if you ever read the word, therefore, so any verse that starts with therefore becomes a significant word because it's a connecting word to the previous verse. So many times we pick up the Bible, we begin to read without recognizing I need to read before, I need to read after in order to get the context of what's being said. So verse 25, he's teaching on worry, and it starts with the word therefore. Therefore I tell you, do not worry. 
All right, so if I just stood up here and said, okay, don't worry. Why not? Well, the therefore is the reason why not. So in order, look at this. I put it in your notes. To understand verse 25, you've got to read verse 24 because therefore connects 24 to 25. Does that make sense? All right, so let me read 24 to you. 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This part, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. Then he says, therefore, don't worry. All right, here's the analogy. If you're worrying, it is revealing who you serve. Now, pastor, you're talking down to us. No, I am repeating what Jesus said. Therefore, don't worry. But the therefore connects us to why we're not supposed to worry. You can only serve one thing in your life. We live with the understanding, I can serve multiple things. I can multitask my way through spirituality. No, you can't. You either serve God or you serve the world and its system. If you serve the world and its system... Worry. Try it again. If you serve the world and its system, worry. Worry about Wall Street. Worry about what's going on in Russia. Worry about what's happening behind the scenes. Worry about politics. Worry about all the deals that are being cut. Worry about the debt that we have and the deficit. Are they real issues? Absolutely. But if you serve God, don't worry. So how can you say that? Because if you serve God, listen, problems will come and go. We are eternal. We serve a God who is eternal. And his purposes ultimately will be served in your life. No matter what you go through, he is bigger than what you're going through. So that if you worry, it is determined, you are revealing who you serve. Now, man, that's indicting for myself. If I'm sitting, if I'm talking to me, when I worry, I'm an idolater. What is it to be an idolater? To worship anything other than God. When you worry, it's the worship of self. It is elevating you as the God of your life who is going to handle your problems by worrying about it. Whereas Jesus said, you can only serve one of two masters. You either serve, well, it's not money, by the way. God's not against money. The answer to this, look, look years ago in the church, the answer in some circles was give everything away and go live in a cave and that's how you're a holy. That doesn't make you holy. It makes you a cave dweller. <laughs> yes or no? That's all it makes, a, a spelunker. <laughs> what did he call me? Look it up. When you serve God, what Christ is trying to say, serve him with the understanding that if he is God, if he cares for the birds of the air, you mean more to him than the birds of the air. If he's already predetermined the beauty of the flowers, the simplicity is God's already predetermined that he's going to take care of you more than he's done that. If you serve God, act like it. By trusting Him. If you love God, elevate it in your life to the point where, look, we began in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Denial is not being spiritual. Some areas in Christianity teach that having faith is to deny that there's any problem. That that's, that's not faith. That's denial. It's okay to admit I've got problems. But what you do with the problems determines who you're worshiping. If you sit and worry about it, you're worshiping you because you think you're the salvation for your problems. If you pray, what you're doing is admitting I have problems, but you're worshiping God and elevating Him as greater than your problems. And what you're saying to Him is, 
I can't fix this. You are able to fix this. I'm trusting you. The reward for that, Jesus teaches later on, and I'll get there in a minute, is that the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. Last week I taught very quickly the price of peace. So I'll ask it this way. How many of you want peace in your life? You don't raise your hand, you don't get it. Yeah, that gets everybody all the time. Okay, all right. I don't even believe in God, but I need peace. Okay. So we all want it. You know people pay billions of dollars a year trying to obtain it too, right? Whether through medication or hobbies or the pursuit of whatever, trying to obtain peace, nothing wrong with wanting peace. But God's remedy for it is this. That when you elevate him as God in your life and you pray about everything rather than worrying about everything, here's the trade-off. He'll give you his peace, which goes beyond your ability to even understand how it happens. So let me ask this question. Have you ever experienced the peace of God that makes no sense when everything else around you says it's all going to hell? What a promise. That the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The price of peace, Josh, is to pray rather than to worry. The price of peace is humility then. The price of peace is to worship God. The price of peace is to do what the Bible says. The price of peace is to not worship yourself. I know many people would, I, Pastor, I... When I worry about it, come on, I'm not worshiping myself. Friend, this is what Jesus said. Don't shoot the pastor. <laughs> it's not talking down to you or scolding you. It's the revelation. Listen, if you don't see it for what it really is, you'll never change it. If you see, so I grew up, here was a saying in my family. Don't expect too much, and then you won't be disappointed. Is that true? That's bumper sticker theology. You know what I mean by that? Cute little sayings that aren't really... God helps those who help themselves. Doesn't that sound spiritual? It's stupid. <laughs> I don't mean that ugly. I mean that in this term. God's not waiting for us to help ourselves before he jumps into the deal. God recognized we couldn't help ourselves, and that's why he sent Jesus. So I grew up with the idea of don't expect too much, and then you won't be disappointed. I, I, there's a reality to that, but what a lousy way to live life. Really, what it's saying is, you know, don't let God, don't have any faith for anything. Don't, don't risk anything. Just play it safe. <laughs> that's not what the Scripture calls us to. Radically trust God with everything. Don't deny that you have problems, but trust God with everything. Hmm. Worry reveals who you're serving. The fill in the blank. Worry is useless. Useless. Let me go to number two. Matthew 6, 27. We're just going right down the chapter. 24, 25, we go to 27. Jesus says this in 27. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You do recognize that's true, right? You know, maybe another way to say it, here's what we know today. Who of you by worrying can take years off of their life? Worry reveals if you get it. I'm reading this week in my personal study in Mark. And in Mark chapter 6, let me, let me just real quickly. Do you mind if I just read a little scripture to you? So Mark chapter 6, uh, this is the feeding of the 5,000 people from Mark's version of it. And he talks about the fact that a crowd gathers around Jesus and that it gets late and the disciples say to Jesus, send them home 
so they can go get something to eat before it's too late. And Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And the disciples look at Jesus incredulously like, what do you want us to give them? And Christ goes, what do we have? You remember? It's two fish and how many loaves? Five. So Jesus takes the two fish, the five loaves. The Bible says he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. But he's not the one who gives it to the people. He gives it to the disciples, and the disciples begin to distribute it. And as they distribute it, it begins to multiply. You know, when Jesus did the miracle, it didn't look like this. He didn't hold the two fish, the five loaves, and go, God bless you. And then it just turned into this big pile of fish and bread. It wasn't like that. He didn't say, okay, bow your heads. And then when everybody looked up, there's mounds of bread and fish. Jesus prays over it. He blesses it, breaks it, gives it to the disciples. The disciples begin to distribute it to the people. And as they acted on what God said, it begins to multiply where they don't run out. If you actually ask them, did you see it multiply in his hands? The answer would be no. It was when we began to give it out, we just never ran out. So they have this incredible miracle whereby their own hands, listen, this is important, by their own hands, they experience the miraculous of God. And then the Bible says this, it just changes course all of a sudden. When they were done, Jesus tells the disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake, I'm going to dismiss the people, then I want to spend some time praying, and I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. The disciples get into the boat, I've taught this before, it's one of those storms that Jesus sends them into. So they find themselves straining at the oars, the Bible says. Jesus is on the side of the hill, and if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, you know exactly what it looks like. You know that he could easily see what they were doing in the middle of the lake. They're straining, trying to get to the other side. Jesus walks on the water. The disciples see him. We get caught up in the miracle of walking on the water. The significant thing in Mark's gospel is this right here. After he walks on the water, the disciples see him and they freak out. They invite him to get into the boat. And then it says this in 6 verse 52. They had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves and the fishes, but their hearts were hardened. They did not gain any insight from the miracle. Let me read it again and then just make a point here. Number two. Worry reveals if you get it. Part of trusting God is the ability to look back on the times in your life where God has been faithful to you, where he's multiplied stuff, where he's made it last, where he's allowed you to get by, where he's kept you going, where you made it through the storm, and you gain insight from what God did. But how many times are we just like a disciple where God can do the miraculous for us 52 times, and the next storm we're in, we forget everything that he did. And we panic over the storm rather than relating to the insight that we gained from the miraculous. Worry reveals whether or not you get it. So the fill in the blank, worry is useless. Didn't you say that? Yes. I'll give you number three. Worry is Useless. Chris and I were talking this afternoon in relationship to the message, to God's faithfulness in our lives. Let me tell you something. One of the, one of the best parts about getting older, and there's not too many. <laughs> True? Some truth to that. One of the best parts is that if you serve God, you get insight from experiences with God. It's called the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Chris and I, just encouraging ourselves and each other through a difficulty, here's what we did. We began to talk about all the times where God came through for us when our backs were against the wall. I remember early on when we felt called to ministry. I didn't do it the average way that a lot of people do it. I didn't, at 10 years old, hear God, and he delivered me from M&Ms and peanut butter, and then I, you know, went to Bible college, and then got, you know, a theological degree and then ended up at a church. We were married. 
we had two small children, and we decided to surrender our lives and to go after what God told us. And here was the requirement. I worked a full-time job, I went to school, and I supported a young family. And I remember there were multiple times I did whatever I could do during that time to put bread on the table. One of the jobs I took was with Orkin Pest Control. I was willing to do whatever it took. I, I remember looking at those paychecks and knowing it's not going to meet this week. Ever been there? Do we live in such an affluent society that we can't remember those times in our lives? <laughs> I remember knowing. There's just no way for it all to add up. We had a Jewish landlord, not a believer. I called the guy up and I just said, hey, we don't have enough money for the rent this month. And the guy asked me, what's wrong? What's going on? And I said, well, I'm trying to go into the ministry. Well, what kind of a church? It's a Christian church. And the guy began to ask me questions about Jesus and the gospel and the Old Testament in particular. And I didn't, it was no big witnessing thing, but somehow the guy's heart changed. And I, the guy, that's what the guy did for Chris and I. He goes, listen, just when you can pay me, pay me. So I remember not having enough groceries for my family and not telling anybody. And we talked about this today. People that would put groceries on my doorstep. So, now look, do you want to live your life that way? No. But I can look back and think, God took care of me all the way through. So, the stories, the miraculous, this church, sitting in my office going, God, how are we ever going to make it from a school to a building? And a guy calling me at that moment going, we've got a piece of property, we can't build on it, we don't want a developer to have it, would you like it? And we don't have the money for it. Well, I haven't told you how much it costs. I guess that is a significant factor. And the guy offering us a deal, the bank, the bank thought we were lying to them. All the times where God has been faithful to me, time after time after time, times where my children were doing things that I didn't want them to do. And I couldn't control it. God was faithful. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? I, doctor reports. I, I just don't even... But we just begin to tell each other all the things that God... And here's what it does. You either get it or you don't get it. Do you want it to be said of you that you get it? That you gained insight from it? So there's... 627 in a package... Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? If you can't remember the things that God's done for you, then it's going to be very easy to worry. See, time-wise, let me just finish up our message here. So worry is, for three, useless. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus teaches these words. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, real quickly, at the beginning of this message, what was the word I told you that's a bridge word to the previous verse? So does 34 start with therefore? So what do you need to do? Read what? All right, so 33 begins this way. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow. He doesn't just come and tell people, don't worry. He gives you the reason why not to worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let me just give you a quick teaching here. In the Old Testament, when a person would die, the Bible would record this about the patriarchs of our faith, of our faith that they were gathered unto their ancestors. In other words, once they died, they were all swept up together. It's the same understanding for this word added to. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it all just gathers itself. You don't, do, you don't have to go pursue the stuff. 
pursue God, and he'll give you the stuff as you pursue him. So Jesus teaches, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry. If you believe God, you believe that he cares for you, but you believe that he'll take care of you, then if you seek him first, he'll take care of the other stuff. If you don't, then you've got to seek the other stuff, and there's no guarantee anything gets added to you. The simplicity of this message is going to be found in this truth. I don't care how long you study the Bible. I don't care how many messages you hear. I don't care how many people teach about this. It comes down to this very simple truth. You trust God or you trust yourself. There is no, you cannot be Switzerland on this issue. You cannot be neutral. To say that I'm undecided already speaks to where you're at. Trust God, trust yourself. Let's come down to the end of the message and go, okay, pastor, we do what with it? Trust God, trust yourself. How many times a day are you tempted to trust yourself? It's the natural way the brain goes without retraining it to think the right way. We trust ourselves. We try to come up with our own problems, our own solutions, our own way to handle it. Jesus says, trust God. Worry ultimately reveals priorities. Jesus has the priority of your life, or you set the priority of your life. So next week, just quickly, I'm going to talk about disappointment with God. I know that for some people that theological statement causes a lot of trouble. I don't think that God disappoints us, but I think our expectation of God can be disappointing, and I want to try to put it in the proper context. But this week, every time before service, our pastors gather, and we pray, and we commit it to God. Pastor Dan's job as my associate then is to take the reality of what we have to do this weekend, and he talks to each of the campus pastors and reminds people what we're going to do. He looks at me and he always says, Pastor, how do you want to end this? And there's times where I'm very set on what the ending should be, and then there's times I know that I know that for each message is going to be a different ending, that God's going to say different things. So I come to this one, I told these guys this afternoon, I said, in my mind, here's what it's going to come back to. We're going to end this message not on a hype issue. We're going to end it on the reality issue. People either trust God or they don't. I'm going to challenge people to look back on your life. Has God been faithful or hasn't he? Has God honored his word or hasn't he? So maybe you sit here and you're like, I don't have enough experience with God to know if that's true or not. Then you're going to have to look to people who do have experience who tell you the truth. God is trustworthy. And if you do have some spiritual moxie, what are you going to do with this right now? You want it to be said of you that you gained no insight from the miraculous things that have happened to you? Or do you want to be a person who gets it? Look at me right now. There's no hype in what I'm saying. Hype will get you to that door, and then as soon as you step in the parking lot, the devil will steal it from you. There's a decision to be made right now that will affect very much your happiness. Do you trust God? It's a decision. It's a reality. It's not a feeling. It's an ironclad, as for me and my house, we're going to trust the Lord. That makes sense? So we come to it, do what? Trust God. Lay all the hype stuff down. Elevate him above your problem right now, above your trouble, above the pressure, above whatever you're facing, and trust him. The outcome, the peace of God, 
that passes human understanding, guards your heart and your mind. Does that really work? Look at me. I even pointed out to my staff on Tuesday, answer the question right now. Am I being real in the fact that I'm above this or am I being fake? Everyone said it's obviously real. The peace of God can guard you and keep you above everything else around you if you want to live that way. But you do get to make a choice. All right. As we go into a time where we just worship here for a few minutes, instead of putting it on automatic pilot, instead of just thinking, oh, I like that song, or let's go take communion, make a decision right now. God, I'm going to trust you. God, I mean it when I say it. You will have to do it over and over again. But let this be the time where you decide, I'm going to trust God. I'm elevated above my problems, above the pressure. I'm going to trust him. Father, I ask that you would take this message right now. I ask God that the truth, what's being spoken, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. God, freedom doesn't happen just because we want to be free. Freedom happens when we make decisions about how we're going to live our life, about who is the God of our life, and about what we're trusting above all of those things. Father, we trust you. God, we put our well-being into your hands. Church, listen. Father, our lives belong to you. You hold us in your hand and nothing can snatch us from there. God, we believe that with everything that's in us. We trust you. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, whatever is coming to tempt you to trust in yourself and to worry, right now, do what Jesus said. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Make a decision right now. God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to give it to you. I lay this in your hands. If you have to do it 50 times a day, do it 50 times a day. Trust God. Give your life to Him. Believe that He has your best interest in heart, that He's a good God and that He cares for you. Even if the devil lies to you or your circumstances somehow are trying to tell you something else, elevate right now your faith. I trust God. And I pray that the peace of God will guard you, the peace that goes beyond human understanding, and keep you right now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet of the Lord.